What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 173. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton, and joining me today is one of my teammates, Mr. Trevor Everett, and he's a local now. He's a he's a resident of the Everything College Basketball Podcast and brand. Mr. Michael DeRosa from Road to the Garden and Ding and DeRosa Podcast rejoins the show with us. What a wild-ass 48 hours as we sit here on January 11th on a Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. The past 48 hours in sports in general, but more, more so our sport of college basketball, has went off the rails, wild-ass drunk fellas. This shit's been crazy. Dude, it's been – it's hard to win. It's hard to win on the road, and we're learning that, like, clearly, man. Uh, just, it's been crazy. It's been a fun time, fun time to be a hoops fan. You like how he threw in the nugget about like his hit one of his teams, one on the road. And he's like, it's tough to win on the road. Like, <laughs> Oh, you're telling me, right? Okay. I, I had a similar experience with that as well this week. So I'd love, I can't wait to dive into this. And, and I mean, it's just, like I said, we're going to talk about it. Obviously the, the big story today, um, in the past 48 hours, we're going to cover it all. Number one, number two, number four. Three, or sorry, one, two, yeah, three, five, uh, nine, eleven, just a shit ton of teams inside top 25 in the last 40 hours have all taken a loss. The, the majority of them on the road, we're gonna cover all that. And then you look outside of our sport bubble, you've got Nick Saban retiring, you've got Bill Belichick leaving the Patriots, Pete Carroll retiring. This it's madness. Like, if this is how 2024 is gonna be. We're in for a wild-ass NCAA tournament, which I cannot wait to talk about. Um, you did mention, which is a great segue. And by the way, we are live on the Twitter, the YouTube, and the Facebook group. If you're following along live with us, drop the comments. We'll share them. We'll talk about them, all that stuff. I do want to talk about at the top of this show, before we get into some of the reviews that kind of lead into it, you mentioned how tough it is to win on the road. And that's the first thing I do want to mention. I think when I was growing up and up until even very recently, people looked at road wins as a plus, but even some of them, especially if you were a top 25, top 10, top five team, there was some quote unquote easy road wins you could kind of mark on your calendar each and every year. For instance, Kentucky, a lot of times, if you were playing, let's say Vandy, you know, Memorial Gymnasium was going to be hard, but you could kind of circle it as a win. Kansas going on the road to play whoever. But it's not the case anymore. You go on the road in these conference games, you could be a top five team, as we've seen, playing an unranked team who's got a losing record or just above 500, and you walk out of there with a loss. So I want to talk to you guys about, A, how tough is it now compared to how it used to be getting road victories in conference, and B, how special it is to actually go and get a road win because there are no easy wins now, essentially. It's... It's hard for everyone except for North Carolina, apparently. So I'll just leave it at that because I think that's – look, I've seen enough of it circulating, so I'll just get ahead of the noise. But, like, even if you look at some of the results, like, I wish I had, like, a, a perfect point or answer to, like, the way you laid that out because I think it's a really good way to put it out. Uh, even UConn on the road against this, you know, at the time 500 Xavier team and, you know, an 80-75 to 75 victory feels like an escape, right? I mean, that oh, just yeah. even in and of itself, I can't speak to how Xavier's arena is. I've, I've not exactly been the person that close covers it the closest. Maybe DeRosa can speak for that. But I'm just looking at top 25 games on Wednesday. North Carolina wins on the road. Kansas loses on the road. Uh, UConn, again, I mentioned five-point, uh, you know, deficit there. Tennessee uh, goes to 
one of the best names called the Hump. Uh, I wish Campbell would change their name to that because I think that's even It'd more appropriate. Right. Yeah. Oklahoma uh, goes to TCU. They lose. Uh, they're a top ten team. So number nine, adding to that number. Um, Butler, as we'll obviously talk about here, and then even the UTSA result, an underrated result. They had to go to double overtime, I believe, or single overtime with Memphis, and it was a one hundred seven one hundred one game. Memphis pulled that out in their home environment. So even UTSA going on the road, it's not exactly the easiest thing to get done. So and I just there's just to name a few, right? Clemson lost at Virginia Tech as well. So I don't have a perfect answer or point, but the point is, is it's never like, especially in the climate of college basketball, where where teams are able to adjust year over year, and you know these fan bases are are now almost accustomed to these teams being able to be more prepared and come out on every single night basis. It, it prepares these games to be bigger, which is why I've seen, I think we've seen what we've seen recently with some of these results. Yeah. Particularly in conference play. It's like you, at this point in the season, it's like you are going up against coaches that know your weaknesses year in, year out. They know how to guard your guys. They are studying your guys every day in the off season. I'm like in the off season, if, I'm a Butler guy and Xavier Lane's a recruit. I'm locked into that versus if, say, Texas Tech, who Butler ended up playing in the non-conference, it's like, okay, we'll get to him later. But Xavier guy, we're playing him twice. So, like, you're looking at this sort of stuff. You're looking for weaknesses. You got stuff on film, too. And just people get pumped up at home, man, when, like, some of these big games, that matters. Especially, like, this is these aren't professionals. These are college kids, and that stuff matters. Uh, but, yeah, you mentioned Cintas. Uh, it's popping over there. It is not an easy place to go in and win at Xavier. And uh, I, I hopefully I'll be in attendance. I, nah, I'll be in attendance for the Butler game in Cintas. Uh, that's coming up uh, about five days from now. So I'll have more firsthand experience from there. But it's hard to win on the road. And that's why when a team does it and does so impressively, like, to me, Auburn going on the road and beating Arkansas by like 30 a week or so ago. That That's a statement. That is a statement. Completely telling agree. Really, really good. It's Completely. So, yeah. Go so, sorry to I was just agreeing with you. Um, like, and I, I put a tweet out from the ECB Twitter today about with all the, the upset losses, a lot of them on the road, it does make in the last week, what UConn, Kentucky, North Carolina, and Duke have been able to do a little bit more impressive. And I think we've talked about this over the years with the parody in college basketball where there's so much great talent now. Guys that are three stars that maybe have been misclassed uh, as far as misidentified as they've, they're quote-unquote a two- or three-star, but they've actually got like four- or five-star talent, and the talent is spreading. Used to, long time ago, talent would go to the big schools if you were a five- or four-star kid. Well, now you're seeing four stars going to mid-majors and you're seeing them trickle down. Maybe they go to a Kentucky. It doesn't work out. They find their way to New Mexico or wherever. So talent's everywhere now. And so it raises the, the competition level from the smaller major to mid-major level and even the, the quote-unquote weaker power conference level and everybody gets better. And I, I do think there is something to it as well, though about not having teams. A lot of these teams in the top 10 that we've seen haven't played necessarily a true road game in non-con. So when they get their first experience or two in conference life at the beginning of the conference season, they're going on the road for the first time and it's a difficult environment. So we're seeing, I think this will be the norm going forward because of the level of competitions raised as far as talent spreading um, until teams start getting smart and playing a true road game or two in non-con. I think we'll see more of this throughout the year. Maybe not in a 40-hour span where you have five of the top 10, and I think it's like nine of the top 25 all lose. But 
I think this will be kind of a norm in a way moving forward. Shout out to our friends over at One and Done, a college basketball podcast who was in the YouTube chat says, hi guys, what's up? Thank you for following along. Keep leaving your comments below as we move forward throughout this show here. Um, let's get into it. We've talked a little bit about it, set the table. Let's get into it. The pieces started to fall the other night when number one Purdue goes to Nebraska and comes out with an L. Nebraska wins 88-72 in this ball game in a game in which they were up double digits for a large stretch, it felt like, of this ball game. They absolutely torched from three. 14 of 23 from the three-point line for 60% accuracy. Your guys' initial reactions, because the only thing I can think of is this Nebraska is a death trap for the state of Indiana teams going to play in Lincoln, Nebraska, because they just beat Indiana a month or so ago in Big Ten play there. Now they take Purdue down. Does Nebraska own the state of Indiana right now? I, my first comment would be I'm, I'm sick of the Peacock complaints. I, I'm sick of hearing about Peacock. Wait till people realize that the Kansas City Chiefs football game uh, this weekend for the wild card is going to be on Peacock. So if you have, if you want to watch the Big Ten and you want to watch some of these big matchups, then just suck it up, shut up, and pay the $5.99 because I'm so sick of hearing about it on Twitter, and I just wanted to get ahead of that. So I apologize if that was brash. Um, I will say this. There was people There was people in our mentions, like, again, I think the Kansas City Chiefs thing is going to be even crazier. There's going to be oh, half God. of America. People are going to be going, where the hell's the Chiefs game? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like it's, it's, on, it's on NBC. Wait, not. Uh, anyway, so, look, Nebraska, I'll admit I haven't watched as much as I would have liked to have this year. I think Tominaga is an incredible player from what I have seen. Um, I, there were some people in our mentions that were, you know, tell, telling us that the three-point shooting and the, and the volume of it and the percentage wasn't exactly the story of the game. Yeah. Whether that's whether that's right or wrong, like I don't think Purdue played a bad game. I really don't. I think they had really balanced scoring in the starting lineup. They got 16 from Gillis off the bench. This is the exact recipe, though. If you want to beat Purdue, you spread Thank them you. out. You spread them out. You do what you're going to do. And you know we've seen it before. Obviously, last year. Um, look, anytime you shoot 60 percent from three, and by the way, Purdue shot 39.4 percent. Like it wasn't like they were cold by any stretch of the imagination. The final score gives it a little bit more of a brash look. Uh, when it comes to how the uh, the score looked, but it you know I think this game was a lot closer throughout. It was very competitive, and it shows that there are some good teams in the Big Ten, even if it's teams that we don't think maybe come into the year. Nebraska, I think we knew had some talent, but not thirteen and three, three and two in conference through the middle of January, and uh, nine point eight out of ten court rush. Michael, on the episode 172 back on Sunday, Peyton and I were joined for the first part of the episode by our bracketologist friend, Jonathan Warner, and we talked about Purdue. And we talked about the archetypes that could give Purdue problems, which is nothing, I'm not saying anything revolutionary here. We all know that. What To Trevor's point about a team that can spread them out, have a big who's versatile, can play out on the wing, gives them problems. We mentioned teams like a Kentucky or whoever that play that style, Marquette, whoever. Mm-hmm. Well, Nebraska kind of fit that archetype to a perfection T there. And you look at a guy like C.J. Wilcher off the bench, 16 points. They made Edie, especially late in that game when Purdue was down 10-some with three, four minutes ago. Edie had to come out to the high, or to the top of the key and defend and I forgot who the ball handler was. It might have been uh, Mass just whipped him to the rim and it because there was a clear lane there. I think, first of all, Tominaga's a laser. That jump shot is just money 10. But uh, when you look at this Nebraska team, honestly, I think this told me more about Nebraska than it does Purdue, frankly. I think it obviously it is hard to win on the road, but I think Nebraska is just kind of like an, 
that's a borderline tournament team in my eyes. They're a top six team in the Big Ten, give or take. I could be maybe exaggerating a little there, but Tomonaga's a laser, and the Missouri Valley transfers, like Mask, have transferred really well to the Big Ten level. Like, you're looking at Mask. I saw a tweet about this from Kevin Sweeney, so this is where I'm getting it from. Marcus Damask, um, Ben Crikey inside, Lance Jones on Purdue. Those Missouri Valley transfers have more or less been one for one in the Big Ten, so... I just think this Nebraska team is good, and I think Koiberg's kind of got him on the right pace. And if you can get guys around Tomonaga that can just kind of help him and let him kind of space the floor a little bit for him, get him running off screens and let him just get that thing up in like half a second, if that, I think this team's like actually good. And we need to give credit to Bryce Williams in this game. He was the MVP on Ken Palm. Nine points. 11 rebounds, nine assists. He was flirting with a triple-double in this game. And his versatility, he's another one of those guys that – at 6'7", he's not an out-and-out like traditional post player, but he was getting guys on switches matching up. I think Edie even had to check him one time. And that's a problem for teams who have traditional kind of post players like Edie. Nebraska's versatility is a nightmare, especially if they're hitting at the clip that they were hitting at. 61% basically from three, but 14 of 23. They're a nightmare scenario for a lot of teams. On Purdue, before we move on away from them, Zach Eady, obviously, still in the front running to be the back-to-back national player of the year. But again, 15 points, 7 rebounds. We talked about him in his last game. I think he had like 10 points, 15 rebounds, which is great nights for 99% of the players in college basketball not named Zach Eady. But if you watch how teams are defending him now, they are obviously double and tripling. I think he's starting to slow down a little bit as teams are trying to figure out more creative ways to defend him. And then Purdue... It's the same story. Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, Lance Jones all have to be great for Purdue to make a Final Four and win a title. And I, I do want to question Matt Painter a little bit because there was a stretch there late in the game where Fletcher Lawyer had started to catch fire a little bit, and then he yanks him out of the game, and Nebraska counters with a run of their own to basically stretch the lead back out. So on that, anything from Edie that maybe the way teams are defending him uh, – Anything from Purdue from these last couple results, especially this loss, have any sort of concern in your eyes now? So one thing, when I looked back at some of the history, because Edie's played in this conference for a while, he typically didn't play very well against either Illinois or Nebraska. Those are two teams that he kind of struggled with in the past. Like, they weren't, like, complete struggles. Like, it's still Zach Edie, but, like, those were games where he'd be, like, 5 of 10 from the field, 10 points, 12 points. It's like, okay. So I think that could be part of it. But uh, also on the point you made about Matt Painter, I think we learned last year that Matt Painter is not going to change much during the season. Uh, Remember when he, after the Big Ten title, it's like, man, their press really gave you problems. It's like, yeah, it's not that hard. Just dribble the ball up the floor. It's not that hard. Press breaks aren't hard. His team got cooked by the press, all Big Ten play, all Big Ten tournament play. And he's like, yeah, you know what? It's fine. So Tobin Anderson watches this and it's like, you know what I got to do by God? I got to press. And it worked. So... I don't know. I I still have some concerns with Painter in terms of making adjustments that'll help his team out season long if this turns out to be a problem. I literally almost word for word what I was going to say. So I think that was beautifully put. And I'm going to lay down on this one. <laughs> I think this was a case, and I'll agree with both of you. I, I think sometimes, and I'm one of the biggest defenders of Matt Painter when people say he's not a good coach and this and that. Most time it's from Purdue fans, if we're being honest. But. I do think he has a tendency to outthink himself as a coach and outthinking yourself is never a good thing. Just go with your gut, trust it. 
if you outthink yourself, you're in trouble most of the time. Let's move on to number two, Houston losing. They just overtook Kansas in both the AP and the ECB poll for this upcoming week. And then they lose the first game after. I swear we can be a jinx sometimes. Trev knows this. You both know this. <laughs> we rank teams. We talk about Wake Forest. They lose. I mean, it, it's a whole deal. But Houston, number two in the country now, go in their first true road test of Big 12 life. And they found out the hard way about Hilton Magic losing 57-53 and in a game that it wasn't always pretty. It was not always pretty, but you've got to give a lot of credit to Iowa State, who led the majority of this game, jumped out to a 14-0 lead on Houston. Houston rallies back, actually grabs the lead, and then immediately after, uh, Milan, I cannot pronounce his last name. Momsilovich. Momsilovich. Momsilovich, yes, thank you. Hits a like Dirk Nowitzki-type turnaround from the baseline to give Iowa State the lead back, and they never look back, get the upset win 57-53. Also with that loss, the last unbeaten fell, which means the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers can sleep well for another year, knowing that they're going to at least hold on to that crown of the last unbeaten team in college basketball. But, Trev, I know you've been a huge fan and defender of Houston all year long. Is this just a one-off case of playing a tough road environment, because we know how good Iowa State's home court advantage is, or could this potentially lead to deeper seated issues for the Cougars? Uh, it's definitely not the latter. Uh, look, I I did not expect them to to you know make Indiana's uh, team from seventy six sweat at all. Like I, this was going to happen, right? The Big Twelve coming up from the American. Look, I I look. There are three and a half years now of me talking in front of a microphone of clear cut. Like I I am into you publicly and then I jinx you within seven days <laughs> and so like I look this is not a shock to anybody that listens to this podcast or anything that I put out um but no I still think Houston's the I I said it on uh, my show I posted on Wednesday like I still think that they're the best team in the country I still think that they're the clear cut if you gave me a hundred dollars to put on somebody doing the national championship game are you really going to see how many games in the tournament are we really going to see Houston put up you know 50 something points right like this is a better offense Cryer completely struggled like this is a game that they can win without Cryer. We know that by the result. It was so close, even with him having like a ridiculously low stat line for him. I mean, even that three showed you that how how little in rhythm he was when he took that three to try to tie it, I believe. And it like completely just went from the right side all the way to the left, bouncing off completely airballing at that point. Um, I just don't foresee them ever doing, you know, having this poor of an offensive performance when we know that their defense can back it up 38% from the field. Iowa State shot 38.3% from the field. So it's not like they were having exactly this, you know, offensive firepower of a game. You know, you're not going to win if you're Houston when you see, when you're relying on, you know, guys that aren't named LJ Cryer and Jamal Shedd. I just don't know. I mean, 38% from the field, 26% from three, even only eight for 12 from the free throw line at 66% scares me. I just don't see that happening, right? And Iowa State still was able to get the win despite shooting 20% from three. So I just don't see six games in a row that Houston's going to have like this in the tournament when they'll have another, my biggest point to land the plane here, is they'll have another month and a half here and two months in conference to prove that they can learn from these mistakes in a really tough conference that's not named the American. So I think this is a I think if anything, this is good for Houston. They they looked like they had almost at ease in Charleston when I was there there. They they had this kind of like Utah was a tough team, you know, St. John's was a tough team, Dayton, you know, all these these teams that were there. I'm I'm, you know, not obviously leaving out half of the teams, but 
they almost felt like they were in like cruise control and they mm-hmm. had some tough games. I mean, that, I've mentioned multiple times, like even coach Sampson said it to me, he's like that Dayton game on Sunday was a road game for them, right? That was really the first road game they played. And now this was truly the first real road game. So I think this is good for them. DeRosa, our, our buddy in the live chat on, on YouTube, Connor McCabe says, nobody's coming out of the big 12 without four to six conference losses. I don't think he's too far off Four maybe a little extreme, but I don't think he's too far off. Iowa State, what does this win tell you about Iowa State right now when they're sitting here at 12-3 and three and coming off of a massive victory at home? I think first, I, I'm not fully with Trev on Houston. They still have something to prove to me. Uh, they had a fairly easy. No one is, by the way. You're not the only. You're yeah. every person <laughs> I've talked to. I I am feel I feel like I'm on an island a little bit, but I've I've made the point clear over well, the I'm, last two months. I, I'm kind of in the middle because I know how good they are, especially defensively, and I love LJ Cryer's addition. But these type of games, even though they won't play an actual road game in, in say a tournament, I feel like they're more susceptible to these type of games than a cold shooting night in the tournament and get bounced than they are lighting a team up in the tournament when they play better competition. I'm in the middle. Like I could see them making a run for the title, but I also could see them taking a loss before the sweet 16. I'm in the middle. Go with your point, DeRosa. I think that's where I about am too. I still want to see them prove it. Like their guards are good, but like I still need them to prove it in like big spots. And when I look at their non-conference schedule, their toughest opponent was Utah. That's a game they match up really well against because Utah's weakness, especially in uh, Charleston, when they had like six guys, you can out-athlete Utah. You can out-physical them. They're like a very, like, they need to be like running their sets, playing a slow pace game. If you can like muscle them up, you're going to beat Utah usually. Then after that, it's Dayton. Dayton's a good team, but kind of the same thing. Houston's just more athletic. And then in that Texas A&M game, that's without Tyrese Radford and an A&M team that is struggling right now. And Wade Taylor just went ballistic. And even late game, Houston made some mistakes. Like, I remember on the sideline, one of the guys walked the sideline trying to inbound the ball. It's like, you can't do that. That gave Taylor a chance to really knot this game up. So I still have some concerns with Houston in terms of, like, putting them as, like, a surefire top two seed in the tournament and maybe even being, like, a surefire team to win this conference. But I still think they're, like, really good. They're going to be in March, and they're going to be a problem in March. They'll be up there. But for Iowa State... This was a team that they were metrics darlings, but they hadn't done anything Mm -hmm. like they smoked. Iowa was definitely their best performance. But like other than that, their best win was either VC. Everybody smokes Iowa. (laughs) Everybody smokes Iowa. They don't play no D. None. And like after that, their best win was VCU on a neutral. That's the fourth best team in the eight. Iowa basketball is like a nun. They get no D. All right, that's a bad dad joke. Keep going. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, that, the fact that you laughed after it got me. You're like, ah, ha, ha, ha. It's like, when we ah. have our when we have a meeting tomorrow, it'll be like, what? Where did the subscribers go last night? I, we, I thought we were supposed to gain subscribers on lives. No, I'm kidding. No. I do have a question for you, Darissa. Though I, I, I like where I like your point about Iowa State, but would you? I, I want to ask you about Houston before we get too far away from it. Would you take Houston or Kansas right now to win the Big Twelve regular season and, and conference? Kansas, just too solid. It's Bill Self. I don't like betting against Bill Self. Speaking of, let's transition. Uh, Let's go to number three, Kansas. That's a great segue. I appreciate that. Number three, Kansas. You would think if they're going to lose their first Big 12 game, it would be to Houston on the road or Baylor or Texas or whoever. Their first road or their first conference loss this year comes at the hands of the mighty 
Central Florida Golden Knights on the road, baby. They went to Florida, soaked in the sunshine a little too long. They were up 16 in this game. In all seriousness, they were up 35-19 with 3.45 left to go in the first half. If Kansas gets a team down 16 points, let alone, no offense UCF, but if they get UCF down 16 points, historically speaking, Kansas wins this game by 45 or 50 points. But, and I know Trev's going to bring it up, so I'm going to team up for it. Kansas has had a history this season of blowing big leads. UCF with a massive welcome to the Big 12 moment in a positive light with a huge home upset over the Kansas Jayhawks, 65-60, in a game that was ugly from Kansas after they were blown a 16-point lead. Trev, I'm going to tee you up for it. I know what you're going to say. Let them have it. This is why we. This is why our text chain's not good for this podcast. Um, so, and Darissa doesn't know what I'm about to say, but it's the same thing. No, I I, were you on the pod after the Champions Classic? We did a we did a ECB uh, late at night. Yeah, late at night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, you were okay. So then, it's the same exact thing I said about Kentucky in the third game of the year, right? Kentucky got up to a 14 point lead in the Champions Classic, and I I said on this podcast, I said, should I feel better about Kansas knowing that they. A, or should I feel better knowing that they are are disciplined enough to win these games late, or should I feel worse because they give up these 14-point leads, right? Or like being down, right? Or in the case of the Kentucky game, they were down by 14, came back, right? In this game, it was the opposite. They're up, and they completely give up a lead, and then still not disciplined enough to get the victory down the stretch against UCF. Two completely different caliber of teams with Kentucky and UCF. Um, I just, that's the fear I have with, with Kentucky, or with Kansas, excuse me, looking at the screen, looking at Kentucky. Um, when... That's why I asked the Houston question is because whether I am a big enough fan of Houston more than anybody, I still feel like Kansas has the same problem and it ties the question together is like it's the same issue of I have three, maybe four guys to rely on. Houston, despite some of the late game antics with, you know, they mentioned the walk in the sideline thing. I still can't believe that happened in a coach Samson system where some guy does that. Like it's just not a mistake that happens there, but barring stuff like that, like they have seven, eight, even nine guys before Terrence Arsenault went down that I completely trusted when they were on the floor with Kansas right now it's three and maybe four. So that's, that's what speaks to this, that speaks to this UCF game. It's the same question where unless I am getting this ridiculous performance out of Harris, I just don't know what Kansas is as a, you know, if they're having these kinds of problems against UCF, this is the same thing where I know they were without Bill self when they lost in the round of 32, but this is the same type of team that can lose just as easily in the, in that tournament style format. Yeah. I I'm with him. Uh, I think you have four players I think you can count on. I think it's Harris, Adams, Dickinson, and McCuller. Then after that, it's definitive gap. And if one of those four goes down, particularly if either Harris or Dickinson goes down, this team fucked. They Done. Trouble. Yeah. GG. So uh, at the same time, and I didn't watch much of this game because it was on, I believe, around the same time as the Butler game was on. So I didn't see much of it. I saw the score. I saw it was something like the 32-17 or whatever the hell you said it was. And I'm like, all right, this is GG. This is Kansas against a bad UCF team. No, I, I, I'm very surprised that Johnny Dawkins' group pulled this one out. I definitely want to go back and look into it. But uh, I watched a lot of the TCU game that Kansas played on Saturday, I believe. Yep. It wasn't like a convincing performance, but they were solid down the stretch. They did enough to stay in that game. TCU hit some crazy shots. So I kind of thought Kansas had something going there. Even that's like, that's a good TCU team. That's like, they're solid. Uh, they lost to Georgetown, but they're solid. But uh, yeah, uh, there's still some worries with Kansas. And I feel like this is a year. I feel like we're at the point of the season where we kind of think everyone sucks. Like it happens <laughs> like twice a year. 
And I feel like this is the first time it happened this year. I, I will say this, and we've talked a lot about Kansas and their flaws. Um, Johnny Furphy's starting to play a little better. He had nine points in 17 minutes, hit one three. But they're getting absolute nothing from Nick Timberlake. Like, if this was NBA, they would cut ties with him immediately. Unfortunately, Kansas is so thin, they have to play him. But they get nothing what they expected from him. Peyton, I asked him, he couldn't make it today, but I did ask him for his thoughts. And he said, basically, the effort for KU wasn't there, especially once they got up 16. And he, he says El Marco Jackson has to start coming off the bench that he is hurting them offensively. And you look at the numbers last night. 22 minutes, zero points, three assists, two turnovers, three fouls. Basically did not do anything in 22 minutes. The problem is if you don't start Omarco, you got to start another guard. So it's either going to be Timberlake or it's going to be Jamari McDowell. You don't have a whole lot of options. I worry about Kansas's bench depth. We've spoken that into the high heavens all year, and I'm with you. They're, let's hope not, but they're one injury away, especially to a Dewan Harris or a Hunter Dickinson, or a Kevin McCall, or one of the big three, and Kansas' season is in the toilet more than likely. Great win for UCF. Great comeback, great win. That's that's the stuff we like to see in the sport, unless you are a Kansas fan. But Kansas has real issues. Like they, They're I, the worst. They're, sorry. Let me, yeah. They're not the worst, but for a 13-2 and two team, they don't play like a 13-2 and two team. Uh, no, look, and, and I 100, 100% understand Peyton's point, but then my counter argument would be like, where has, like, what is this timber like? Like, like, I, this is the guy that we were seeing in last year that was an incredible scorer at that level. And like, okay, cool, take Jackson out of the lineup. Who, who do you feel good about replacing him with? Like, I just don't see how that fixes the problem. If anything, it's a band aid on a wound the size of a machete Nobody. blade. That's the thing. Like, Nobody. I just don't understand. It's like you can't put a band aid over that big of a wound, right? And I just, if there's anybody that I should believe in, like Michael said earlier, it should be Bill Self. I think he can even look at this team and realize it. Unless these guys get it together, I don't know what we're doing. I do want to uh, ask Connor if he's still in the chat, by the way, at some point. Uh, Connor, let us know how the Clemson UNC game was. That was uh, one of the biggest games that, uh, little john's ever seen so oh, i'm curious yeah. how that environment was so i know we probably won't get to clemson today but that's just a uh you and well we'll talk about unc i'm sure but yeah i just wanted to see if connor uh, could comment that before he gets out of here that's all that's well, a good point, point. hey shout out to shout out to connor yeah just a quick point Go ahead, Rosa, sorry. yeah now you get it that was my fault i saw you wanted to talk uh to the point on their depth uh that was the reason i didn't have them number one in the preseason and they did the thing where they brought in like five or six walk-ons. And it's like, that just wasn't going to work for this team. They don't have a ton of depth. And I think it, it really can burn them long-term, especially in a tournament setting where it's like, look, let's say you're in the Sweet 16 and you get into a battle with, if Kansas, let's say Kansas ends up being a three. If you get into a battle with a two, but you somehow win that game or in that similar spot, they need to go the next day and play potentially the number one overall team in the country. That's going to burn you. You know, it reminds me of a little bit that Josh, you made a great point, And then Michael, maybe think of this is it reminds me of the walk. You mentioned the walk on thing. And Josh, you mentioned earlier about like their one injury injury away from like derailing their whole season. It reminds me of that Kendall Marshall team that when he went oh. down with the wrist injury and they had to play Stillman white in like the, the, the deep part of February ACC play. And like, I, I'm as big of a fan of the walk on story as anybody. Um, the one from uh, Arkansas, the offensive lineman, yeah. I, that video circulated yeah. this week. I, I hadn't, I hadn't heard about that much. But it, you know, it speaks to the same problem as that UNC team had, where like their leader, and in, in this case, it could be any of those three players, but like 
you're going to have to play somebody at point guard that you haven't played all year. Maybe it's not a walk on like Stillman White, but at the end of the day, the point being is it there's uh, there is a parallel in history, especially in college basketball. We know repeats itself. Yeah, I love that point. And by the way, side note: two that was a 11-12 season. Kentucky, Carolina were the best two teams by far all year, and it should have been them in the title game had Kendall Marshall not got hurt. We would have got that incredible rematch. They played in the regular season, one of the best regular season games I've ever seen. So, yes, I agree with you. Number five, Tennessee goes on the road last night in their first SEC road game and takes an L to, I don't want to call them a resurging Mississippi State, but we still know the qualities there, especially since Tolo Smith is back, and he had his way in the interior against Tennessee in the first half. He had like 16 at halftime, ends up with 23 points, only four rebounds, but he was a force down low. Mississippi State, they did go on kind of the little lull there a couple weeks ago, but now they're fully healthy again. We've talked about it in the preseason. We've talked about it all early year. The freshman Josh Hubbard coming off the bench, leading them and scoring 25 points in this game. Mississippi State is a tournament team with healthy, and we've seen it last night against the Vols. Um, your guys' thoughts because Tennessee's only lead was at the beginning of the game, three nothing. So are we worried about Tennessee in a way? Because the only thing that concerns me is again, I know it's on the road, it's a different environment, but this gives me flashbacks of the Tennessee we've seen for the last 12 years or so, where they have a hard time, especially playing from behind. They have a hard time scoring the basketball if they can't get out in front and then put the clamps on you defensively. I'm not particularly worried about this Tennessee group long-term. I think all things considered, they went on the road at a team that would be near the top 25 if Tolu was healthy full season. They, I mean, a team that was in the top 25 for a little bit without Tolu. I think that says a lot against one of the best coaches in the country in Chris Jans, particularly defensively, he's going to have that group ready. This is a tournament team to my eyes, Mississippi State and then some. They could steal a game in the tournament. So I'm not particularly panicking about Tennessee. I think it is something to monitor. That said, one thing I was looking at was Dalton Connect's numbers really dropped off before this game. He had a good game. I think that was something I was looking to if I am a Tennessee fan. So I'm not like too worried about it. I still think like this is a good team. I think they'll find a way to win a couple road games, but it's something to monitor for sure. They went on the road and scored 72. And honestly, the really big, the really big difference maker for me here, um, you know, 20 fouls is uncharacteristic for them. Like to, for two guys to fail out, uh, fail out. I do. And, uh, a Waka, of course, two of the hardest names for me to say. Um, <laughs> but 20, 20 fouls for them is, in any environment is very uncharacteristic. I do worry about some of the offensive stuff relying so much on Ziegler, uh, small guards like that, but I just want to give a huge shout out to Hubbard. Uh, I think in this current climate of transfers and how many guys are upperclassmen sticking in college right now to get that kind of impact from a true freshman, 25 points off the bench. He's been really good this year and I have to give him a lot of credit. That's, uh, watched the conclusion of this game and it felt like it was one of those moments where I'm like okay this is Tennessee's gonna win this game because it felt like every single thing like I think of any you know last minute comeback or la- like think about the you uh the one Texas A&M versus Northern Iowa in the tournament you know you think about yep. the you know Tracy McGrady with the with the Rockets like all those famous ones where everything just happened you're like okay this all has to happen and it happened and it felt like Tennessee was getting everything and I was texting you guys I'm like they tied it up like this. They're just going to win this game at this point, right? The defense is going to step up and it didn't. And that shows you that speaks to the road environment thing. Immediately too. Great point on that final thing on the Tennessee game. They did rally all the way back. They were down as much as 10, 12 points there for the majority of the second half come all the way back. As soon as they tie it up, 
Mississippi State throws it into Tolo Smith. He goes to work and one bucket. And then the final possession, Tennessee's dribbling around. Mississippi State's playing great D, staying in their gaps, staying in their positions. And then they go up for a shot. They get stripped and ripped to go down for the uh, game clinching dunk. So great final possession there, answering the call after Tennessee rallied to tie it. And then the defensive possession, the strip and rip for the dunk. Mississippi State's going to be a handful, especially at home. Tennessee, I, I, I think they're a good team. I really do. But they are very prone to nights like this where they cannot score outside of Connect's going to score. We've seen it all year. I'm happy to see Zakai Ziegler back healthy, 26, seven assists. He was great. But, again, big games like this, Josiah Jordan-James, three points. Vescovi, two points. You mentioned Idu and Awaka fouls out. They got nothing from Jemai Meshack, who's typically great for him off the bench. They are more prone to games like this, kind of like we were talking about Houston's how I feel with Tennessee. Great defensively. They can score at times, but if they get behind, they are very prone to scoring droughts or over-reliance on one guy. And that's, that concerns me about the tournament, but great win for Mississippi State. They're going to be a factor now that they're fully healthy. Tola Smith's going to make a real run for the SEC Player of the Year. How about real quick, number nine, Oklahoma, um, taking a road loss to TCU. We just talked about in the last episode, TCU probably could have and should have beat Kansas. Jamie Dixon's a hell of a coach. That program is damn tough. That is a damn tough our basketball team and program he's built there at TCU. They win 80-71 to 71 in the top 10 upset there. Your guys' thoughts about TCU, the Oklahoma loss. Do we start to see an Oklahoma slide now, now that kind of the seal's been broken on them? Yeah, I think uh, Oklahoma was probably performing at their ceiling with how we ranked them at 10. I don't feel like they're going to hit that number at any time soon. I still think they're like a top 25 team. Like, I'm not trying to say they're terrible, but felt like 10 was a little high. But I also think this is a really good TCU team. I think that the roster is really talented. They have a ton of long, physical athletes. Uh, Dixon did a horrible job scheduling again. Um, but that's another conversation for another day. Uh, really long, really athletic. And they got a couple shooters like Tavion Tennyson has hit some incredibly tough shots. Jameer Nelson's a legit point guard. Emmanuel Miller's a legit star in this league. So on one hand, all big oh, 100%. Yeah. So on one hand, like, yeah, I think Oklahoma was a little like higher in the polls than I think they'll end up being. But like TCU is also like a really talented team. This was a team that I think we had like as a surefire tournament team after the season. They were like five point favorites in this game. So this result doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, I, I don't want to, you know, be an echo here, but like I still believe in Oklahoma long term. I, yeah. I guess I'll say that. I think I'll put a flag on that. I think they get in the tournament. I still think they have sweet sixteen potential. I mean, heck, for for being projected to finish last in the Big Twelve by most accounts, this has got to be still something you look at successful, even though mm-hmm. obviously this TCU loss doesn't help that. Um, I think that McCullum, you know, anytime you get seventeen six and five out of your best player or arguably your best player. I think that you're going to only be able to work with that. I think that's fine. TCU, I just think I undervalued how good they'd really be, and it speaks to what uh, what Miller has been. And, again, I don't want to be an echo on that. So um, I think this was just a really fun Big 12 game that we should see. We should come to expect from a lot of these teams from anywhere but from 8th to 1st in the Big 12. We're going to see games like this every single week. 
Let's finish the upsets because we could go through the whole list, but I want to talk about this last one to let DeRosa gloat a little bit because his Bulldogs of Butler went up to number 11 ranked Marquette last night, arguably the Big East favorites, and they pull out a victory 69-62. DeRosa, here's your chance to gloat. What a victory this was. Butler needed this one. Uh, this was a team that if you look at it, it's like you have the plane incident where your plane doesn't land to the morning of at Providence. You start down 15-0. You battle all the way back. Providence, it's a three. You look at the FAU game. Butler put up 86 points in that game. They could have beat FAU on a neutral, and the season looks completely different from there because your next game is against AM. FAU ended up winning that tournament. Maybe that's Butler. You get a couple key wins there. They've been so close, so many. Even the UConn game, that's a close game With like at the very end. UConn just made everything. So uh, while this team definitely has flaws, particularly defensively, this is a really good offensive team, and uh, this is a team that w- I think is on t- this win puts them on track to hearing their name called in March. This completely changes the trajectory of the season. Uh, just a dominant road game like this that will end a Q1A game. This team needed it. They got it. It was an, it was not a very fun game to watch. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it was fun that Butler won, but like getting <laughs> to that point, it was really frustrating. But uh, also, there are some worries with Marquette. That was a bad Marquette performance. Three that was of- really bad. They've lost three of their last five, including two in a row. Raise your hand at this point if you had them two and three in Big East play. With back-to-back losses of Seton Hall and Butler, they were five of 31 against Butler or against Butler last night at home. They are now shooting 31.7% from three, 245th in the nation. I am officially, it's not panic time, but I'm with you, DeRosa. I'm starting to get concerned about Marquette. Uh they were bad yesterday, man. They were re- they missed like so many like good looks from deep. They have not been a good shooting team all year, and they shoot a lot of them. And their offense just feels more congested. It's not as free flowing. There are some, con- and they they miss Omax too. How many times are they going to shoot sixteen percent though? Like I, I know that there are teams in the Big East that can that can do that, that can hold them to that. I just don't ever see a team like. And by the way, they've won games this year. I wish I had the exact stat lines plucked perfectly out of my own head right now. But, like, they've won these games where Tyler Kolick struggled. Like, any time the best guard in the country, I'm going to stand on that, any time that, that someone like that is going to shoot 1 of 13 from the field, 0 of 7 from 3, and only have 8 assists, I say only 8 assists, he still contributed in some strong way, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but normally he pairs that with, you know, 18 points, right? So there's a lot more of a, of a what he brings from an offensive production value. And, look, I... Look, I, you can tell me that it's not Butler's defense. Like, there are going to be teams in the Big East that are going to hold them to a lower shooting, you know, slump here. Uh, Jones was one for 10. Joplin, Joplin, really the only bright spot at three from seven. My point is, is I still think they are a really, really strong team because they've won these games with Kolick performing like this. And I agree they are missing Omax. Yeah, they need to find a rhythm because they've clearly lost it at this point. They need, like... Because I would have thought, like, when you play a team like Georgetown, it's like, okay, that's our bounce-back game. That's our get-right spot. We're going to be better. But since the, even since that game, they haven't been right. They need another get-right spot. They need to start hitting some jump shots. And they just need to, like, they're playing a little congested. They need to be a little more free. And you can beat them on the wings. And you can out-tough them. And Butler won all the 50-50 balls. The, their, their next couple, it's not going to get that much easier. I mean, it's a back-at-home next Monday against Villanova. And then the following Saturday is an away game to St. John's, who is starting to surge a little bit now. Um, Marquette's need to start 
stringing some wins together. I mean, they're not in danger of missing the tournament by any means, but if they're going to try to go back to back in the Big East Championship or Big, Big East Champions, I mean, they're going to start stringing some of these wins together or else they might end up falling as far as like the three or four seed in that conference tournament. I am concerned about Marquette, not panicked, but concerned. Do want to see them get right. But let's start wrapping this up because I know Trev has to get out of here before we move on. So I will say this. Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, all three wins early part of the week here. Two of them on the road with the Duke on the road at Pittsburgh. Beat the hell out of Pitt. North Carolina ends up pulling away from North Carolina State. And the Kentucky, it was comfortable the whole way, but it was uncomfortable at the same time. People who watched the game know I was talking about. Kentucky wins 90-77. All three Blue Bloods win. All three playing incredibly well right now. All three should be inside the probably the top seven or eight come next Monday in the poll, depending what happens this weekend. Your thoughts real quick on the three Blue Bloods winning. Trev, I know, obviously, Carolina State. I'll let you start there. Well, look, and I told you when we recorded that there was going to be a really easy recipe if this game got ugly, if, if NC State had an opportunity with open threes because they can pull Baycott down, who's not the strongest defender anyway, that they were going to lose this game pretty easily. And that's exactly what happened. Regardless of 26% from the field, you're you're never going to win a basketball game in any league of any capacity when you shoot 26% from the field. But shooting 21 open threes, most of them being in the first half, and to keep it still within a five-point game, getting close to halftime, they shoot 9.5%. You're just not going to win. I want to overcomplicate this here. Um, obviously, you know, I think that we had the rebounding advantage coming in, and then Harrison Ingrams decides to be Moses Malone reincarnated. <laughs> and 19 rebounds is just incredible. Uh, you know, five of them offensively, and they came. They felt like they continued to come. You know, at every single important offensive moment. I guess on the plus side, there was there's a way for them to win the rematch. Obviously, assuming both teams don't have a an, a clunk fest again, right? Because it's not like North Carolina shot you know, the most amazing anyway. My point being is like there's a a, a clear cut way that you can control the game with Armando Baycott's in at least the way State is performed, and I think they were doing that very well for a lot of the game, and then it just got out of hand. It did show UNC's really strong prowess being able to win a low-scoring game and a high-scoring game. We've seen that both sides of them so far this year. I know a lot of people have said that, but it's true. Uh, Duke, I look, I need to continue to watch Duke more. A lot of their games, I, I really don't think they've played a hard game yet. I, I know that sounds crazy. I know the Baylor game, but I'm talking like since conference plays really got started because uh, they started out conference play, of course, with the loss at Georgia Tech, which I think will age a little bit better than most people uh, probably anticipate. At the end of the day, like just you're not going to win a game when you shoot nine percent from three. It's just dumb. I, I text you in our group chat last night. There Thanks was for a point, us, by the way. Uh, well, I, I can't get them all right. <laughs> there was a lot this week I have got right, but I got that one wrong. But I text you guys in the group chat last night during the course of that game. Every single time Carolina State would, they'd go down nine and then get it down to two or three, and then Carolina would respond. State would rally back. It was like that the whole, it felt like the whole game until about six to go when Carolina really gapped them. Carolina State, I felt if they could ever get the lead, would have put a lot of game pressure on North Carolina. But to Carolina's credit, man, playing, like you said, winning games in the 60s here lately, they can win games in the 90s. That is a hell of a recipe. Carolina, I firmly believe, is the real deal to win the ACC and to be a Final Four contender right now. They have got it all. They've got it all. And uh, great win. Duke, I like your point. They haven't really played anybody, but I think in this case, this is working to their favor because they're reincorporating like Tyrus Proctor coming back off injury. They're figuring themselves out again and getting wins, building confidence, and they look really good, like really good right now. So that's good for them. And then the Kentucky thing, like I mentioned, they blew, 
they were comfortably ahead of Missouri all night long, but it never felt comfortable, and they still put up 90. They're such an offensive juggernaut. Defensively have to get better. DeRosa, your thoughts on those three real quick. Yeah, uh, UNC is a team I like. I think they're going to struggle with bigger guards, but like other than that, this team is really talented. Elliot Cadeau is a great point guard. RJ Davis off the ball, playing in a more natural role for him with a distributor next to him. He's going to be looking really good. Baycott inside is solid. Harrison Ingram, they have guys who know their roles, like Cormac Ryan. They know their roles. They know how to succeed in college. So I really like the roster construction of this team. I think it's much better than last year. I think that's really the main difference. Duke, I think this... They really impressed me in that Baylor game. They looked really good. And while Baylor is bad defensively, Duke looked really good in that spot, man. So um, I think I'm, I'm starting to see the Duke more I expected preseason. There's still room to grow for this team, and they don't face a real test in ACC play until the 27th against Clemson. And, like, at home, you can take Clemson for whatever it is, but, like, I still think that'll test them. And Kentucky is just going to be an excellent offensive team. They really impressed me in the end of that Florida game, too. They found multiple guys who would able, like Mitchell, I believe, fouled out. Josh, you'd know better than me, but I believe Mitchell fouled out late in that game, got hurt, something like that. And Aaron Bradshaw had to use three. And you have Ugani Uensu. I don't know how to pronounce that name. I'm just hoping yeah, that's you, right. Yeah, you were good. Yeah, Ugani Uensu. Yeah. 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 Chasing down a loose ball in the corner. You have your guards making plays against veteran guards, like Walter Clayton, Zion Pullen. Um, I believe Richard, one of Richard or Kugel fouled out, and it was whoever was playing better. But, um, they made plays in a hostile environment against veteran guards. So I think this Kentucky team is very good. I still think I, there are definitely some concerns of like, they're going to hit that like freshman, like lull, which I think is just due to happen at some point, whether that's one bad game or like three bad games where they can sneak by and go one and two, but like not look as impressive against us, say a Georgia or someone like that. But yeah. Yeah, so we got the Blue Bloods rolling. Trev, I know you got to get out here just in a minute or two. You are covering a live game tonight. Campbell, you'll be there live in attendance. Anything you want to say that we haven't talked about or that we go back over again as kind of your parting shot for episode 173? Um, I don't feel like boring people with all the results that they know happen, but I will plug uh, house-enterprise.com. There'll be a recap of the uh, Delaware Blue Hens. Blue Hens, right? Got that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah coming man. coming to Boise Creek to play tonight in the CAA. Both teams are one and one. Um, I, I'm impressed with this Delaware team so far. They've got some interesting losses against UNC Greensboro and George Washington. Both two really good teams, but they did beat Xavier. I heard the whisper. I saw the – I was trying to get down the down the schedule. They had two <laughs> kids that I was surprised they lost, and then, then that Xavier game was so beautiful right there away. Um, obviously a big resume builder there, but the CAA is incredible, and, and I'm very blessed to say I'm able to cover it. Um, game recap will be up on House Dash Enterprise either uh, either wee hours or just early tomorrow morning. So it was fun as always. Go check Trev's go check Trev's workout. It'll be a fun coverage tonight. He's been in a lot of Campbell games. Does obviously does great work. Trev, I will catch up to you with you. Hopefully you'll be here for episode one seventy four. Enjoy it. I'll talk to you later. But what me and Michael are going to do for now, we're going to take a quick ad break. When we come back, we're going to preview some of the weekend's biggest action. we got a fun kind of um, pick em game, if you will. we got more to come on episode 173. Stay tuned. We'll be right back in just a minute. College basketball fans, I've got a question for you. Are you looking to score big with your basketball bets and analysis? Well, ShotQualityBets.com is your go-to source for data, picks, and predictions that are a cut above the rest. With their state-of-the-art computer vision and AI, they analyze the game like no one else, providing you with unique data that's crucial for making informed decisions. 
Shot Quality Bets takes the hard work out of betting by matching their highly accurate predictions with the current betting lines, making it a breeze for you to place winning wagers. And the best part? You can start this winning streak right now with the Everything College Basketball exclusive code of ECB for 10% off your first month. Simply visit shotqualitybets.com backslash welcome to sign up and jump into the action. It's that easy. Shotqualitybets.com, where data drives your analysis to the next level. We appreciate shotqualitybets.com for hopping on board with ECB this calendar year. Uh, again, as the ad just said, go u- visit shotqualitybets.com, sign up, with use the promo code ECB, get 10% off of your first month. DeRotha, we didn't even talk about because we obviously with all the upsets, we had to talk about them. But how about Louisville going into Miami and getting Kenny Payne's first road win and arguably the big, not even arguably, it is the biggest win of the Kenny Payne era. I'm so happy for those kids. Seriously, I'm happy for them. Mike James had what it was like 26 points, 23 points. I'm happy for them. And I asked Peyton, since he wasn't going to be on his thoughts, he said, good feel-good moment. Would love to see it spark something. I don't see it happening, though. Miami regressed from last year. A, a lot like – or sorry, a loss like that could kill their seeding or worse, keep them from making the tournament. I'm really happy for those Louisville kids. They needed that morale booster. Yeah, definitely. Uh, shout out, I believe, Hersey Miller to a walk-on started that game at Miami. Started, yeah. So, yeah, shout out to him. Uh, that said, I don't think this leads to anything for Louisville. And I think this is kind of a statement to the rest of the world that Miami just ain't it. Uh, they're just uh, they they're going to be so boom and bust. And it's four guards. They need to be excellent offensively because defensively they're just bad. Just bad. Yeah, they are. They're not good. Well, that's not fair. I, I don't think they're not good. They just I don't know, actually. I don't know. Um, they don't play good, but then it, you'll get the random game from them where Miami yep. looks like Miami from last year. I, I'm with you. I think they're going to be up and down where they're going to take a loss to Louisville and then they're going to bounce back and beat the hell out of like North Carolina yep. on a Wednesday night. Like it's going to be one of those years. I don't think they're a tournament team though, especially could, not with this loss. Yeah. Uh, so I was actually just going to say is they could like somehow sneak in as like an 11 and a play in win the first round game and like look mid and then go up against a six seed that everyone's like, man, this team could like really run the table and get and just red hot. 50. Yeah. Like get it's going to happen at the same time. They could also lose that game, like not even make the tournament. So what there is a really wide range of outcomes with this Miami team. I, I need more information. I just want to see them play more, but I really think they're just going to be so boom and bust. I completely agree. Um, let's pre let's turn our attention this weekend though. This <laughs> When I put this up the other day on the ECB Facebook group, we for your, this is year six now of uh, doing the weekly pickums, point standings, and all that. Mm-hmm. The game of the day for the Saturday was number three Kansas, number nine Oklahoma. Both these teams coming off of loss. We've already talked about. It is in Allen Fieldhouse. Who needs this win more? And I think I know your answer. And who do you think wins this game? Like, who? how do you think this game plays out? Both coming off of a loss on the road in a very high-pressure game for the top of the Big 12 standings that could come into factor late in the year. Tell me what you think happens in this game, because I think my answer might surprise a little bit. Man, uh, first of all, who needs this game more? 
I'd say Kansas without a doubt, honestly. Uh, the fact of just, I mean, I think if we're factoring in preseason expectations, it has to be Kansas. If Kansas starts one and two in Big 12 play, losing at home to Oklahoma and at UCF, that's a yikes. That's a yikes. Uh, so I really think they need this one just for momentum's sake. And since this game isn't, it's in, is it in Allen or is it in, is it at Oklahoma? No, it's in Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah. Damn, that would have changed my pick. I wanted to pick Oklahoma, uh, but I can't then. I got to go with Kansas. Uh, they're at home. I think they have the athletes to just kind of muck around this game. I think Dickinson's going to be able to get his inside. So I'm going to lean Kansas. I think Kansas just, I think, yeah, I think this is just a good spot for Kansas. I think this is a good like bounce back spot against a team that I think Bill Self will be able to just diagram some good offense against. And Oklahoma, meanwhile, hasn't, really been tested outside of the unc game they smoked providence that was a statement performance beat arkansas beat iowa state at home at tcu this this is kind of like they're getting tested and i just think this game could go a lot like the unc game i see i'm with you on a lot of that obviously to me kansas they need this win the most you're at home coming off of a bad road loss in conference the, the schedule will start to get harder as the weeks progress. And if you're going to win the conference, you got to win these games at home, protect home court, and then try to steal some on the road is how you always win conference mm-hmm. tournament or conference championships. They need this win badly. Oklahoma's defense is going to give them problems and they've got a star in JV and McCollum. Like they're going to give Kansas all they want and more. They're going to be physical And we've kind of seen that mold where physicality, it doesn't necessarily bother Kansas per se, but it could cause a hell of a lot of issues the way they play kind of gaps. They don't play necessarily like a pack line, but they're going to do their best to keep Dickinson out of the paint and keep the guards from driving into the paint, which is going to turn Kansas into an outside shooting team. They shoot well as far as percentages go from three. They're shooting shooting 37.8%. But it's the volume. They, it, mm-hmm. They're they a better Indiana in terms of they don't take a whole lot, but they are making a high percentage of the ones they take. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they're going to have to be an outside shooting team. But, God, if Oklahoma's physicality bothers them and let's say they get in foul trouble and they have to go to that bench, Oklahoma is going to get the upset win on the road. Like you cannot trust Kansas's bench players right now. You just can't. So for Kansas, you got to have your big three play well. Got to have Dickinson go for a double double. You got to have Dewan Harris score when he's called upon to score and keep doing assists and or getting assists and being a defensive pest. And to me, their best player overall, Kevin McCuller. I've said it all year. He's going to have to have a big game. With all that said, Kansas withstands all that being at home. You know, Fog Allen's going to get loud. Kansas wins this game, but I do think it's another nail biter to really put pressure on Kansas moving forward into the year. I think this is going to be closer than what people think it is. Yeah, when I look at this matchup, just looking at the Ken Palm of it right now, Oklahoma, What some things Oklahoma does really well. They defend the three really well. So if they're going to make them shoot from the outside, Kansas is a team that, while they do shoot a good percentage, they don't shoot like a ton of threes. Like they don't get a lot of their points from three. But also, Kansas leads the country in assists per field goals made, as in they move the ball really well. Yeah. Oklahoma kind of makes you beat them one-on-one. That's really how Oklahoma plays. You have to do a lot of like one-on-one moves, one-on-one actions. They're not going to overhelp stuff like that. They're really disciplined and help. So if Kansas is going to have to beat them one-on-one, like Dewan Harris, who's there, is not a score first guard. 
he's a look to dime guard. So maybe this is a game where you need him to go, okay, Dewan, look, I know it. I need you to give us 20 rather than 12 assists. Do you think or Oklahoma do you think Oklahoma pulls the page out of like Kentucky and other teams that guarded him and sag off and dare him to shoot the three? Because to his credit, to his credit, when he is faced against that type of D where you go under screens or mm-hmm. you just completely sag off like a step, step and a half, he is making the big ones. He's not making all of them. He's making the big ones. Do you think if they play him like that, that he will step up and take, let's say, four or five throughout the course of a game? I think in a spot like this, if that's how Oklahoma's defending, and maybe Kansas isn't getting the offense that they usually see, I think he could make an adjustment and just say, look, I'm, I'm going to take these. Like he shot two of four against IU from deep, five of six against Kentucky, which is basically how they won that game. Yeah. yeah. Shooting over four percent from deep. So, yeah, I mean, if they're going to sag off on him, I feel like he is just going to start pulling. I feel like this is a game where if there's any game for Dewan Harris to just put on like the bucket and just say, you know what, I just got to score today. I feel like this is the one. And then that could really help get some other guys going, like a Dickinson, like a uh, Kevin McCuller, even KJ Adams getting some dirty points. I will say this. If Oklahoma's defense plays like that, where they turn you into one-on-one drivers to beat them, Dewan can get to the rim. But if they're going to play like that, it's got to be Kevin McCuller. He is their guy that you could throw it to him in the low block and he could score on smaller guys. If a bigger guy is on him or similar size guy, he'll take you out to the perimeter. He can also play that kind of Kobe range from about 17 feet on uh, like a kind of a mid-range post-up ISO and clear out a side and go. If they play that D against them, McCuller's got to be the guy to go for 20-25 to help Mm -hmm. them win. Because they don't have a whole lot of 1v1 drivers like they have in the past. They don't. Like you said, to your credit, they, they assist and move the ball. If you got to play one-on-one, I think Kevin McCuller has got to be the guy to kind of break that defense down and play out in front of the defense, get out in transition, run, get some easy ones. Um, let's move on. Kentucky, number five, Kentucky takes their unbeaten SEC record on the road to Texas A&M, a team that is underperforming, a team that we thought would compete for the SEC title, and of course they still can, but they're not off to a great start right now. They, they've got six losses on the year already. Or maybe it's seven. Uh, is it seven? Let me take a look real quick. Um, Texas A&M is nine and six. Yeah, they've lost two in a row. A bad loss to LSU. And then Auburn kind of – Auburn – like they gave Auburn fits the other night on Tuesday night, but Auburn mm-hmm. was able to grind one out. A&M, 26% from three, 355th in the nation, even though they do have the 27th best offense as far as efficiency goes. Number one in offensive rebound percentage. Their 65th defense. We know who AM is. They're going to grind you out. They're going to play a half court game. They're going to defend. They've got a couple star guards. But is that enough, even at home in College Station, to take down the high flying Kentucky offense? This is a weird one for me uh, because, in terms of matchups, I like, especially at this point in the season for Kentucky, I like how AM matches up with them. I think being physical with these freshmen, it would be kind of unlike something they've really seen like more physical veterans, like even with Clayton and Poland, those guys are more flash. These guys are more physical. They're more brooding. I think that's a very different challenge than Kentucky has faced. At the same time, this is a team that's three and five from the last eight, and their best win is DePaul. Mm-hmm. So. And well, they do have a win over Iowa State in that yeah. uh, neutral site game. Here's what I'll say. If you're looking for O'Keys the victory for AM, they're number one, as I mentioned, in offensive rebound percentage. Why is that important? 
Go back to last Saturday. Florida, top 10 in offensive rebound percentage. They got a ton of offensive rebounds against Kentucky. Rebounds in general. Kentucky's not a great rebounding team. They're getting better with Bradshaw and Ugo back. They're not. You can get on the glass against Kentucky. And defensively, they're going to have to lock in. Here's the thing about Kentucky, and I will scream it from the rooftops. And I agree normally what you said just a little bit ago about freshman wall. But I think that normally applies if you've only got like one or two star freshmen. Kentucky's got elite four guards. I mean, Reeves not a freshman, but say three guards. Yeah. Four if you include Justin Edwards as a kind of guard wing. Then you have a stud freshman and Aaron Bradshaw. One or two can go on a cold streak and they still win games because the other two or three picks the team up and we've seen it all year. You look at DJ Wagner across, I think it's like last four games is averaging 16 points. He is turning it on and being that five-star number one prospect coming out of the, his class like we, we've seen and heard about. He started off slow, but you watch him get to the rim, finishing left, finishing right, making tough baskets, up and unders. He is their bulldog that will love this challenge of a physical game. Rob Dillingham's who I kind of worry about because his game is all flash, mm -hmm. step backs and all that. Physicality against Florida bothering him. He played his worst game all year. So I do worry about Dillingham. But I trust DJ Wagner in this game. I trust Reed Shepard. Aaron Bradshaw really grew up. He played a bad game for the first 30 minutes of that game against Florida. Last nine minutes, he was special. Led the sequence to win the game. Then you factor in the veterans and Antonio Reeves making big plays. Trey Mitchell has been the, the quintessential glue guy. AM's got to have big games from Wade Taylor the fourth. They've got to have a big game from a guy like Henry Coleman. Tyrese Radford's going to play well. They're going to have to really focus in on their defense. If they win this game, I think Taylor's got to have a 20-piece. I think they've got to hit at least five or six threes. I know it's not in their MO, but they're going to have to open Kentucky's D up because Kentucky will give you those opportunities falling asleep, and they're going to have to get after the offensive glass. Elsewise, I think Kentucky goes in and gets another road victory to add to that resume, and I think they can put some numbers on them. I'm going Kentucky in this game, even though I think a and is going to be a real problem, especially at home, and make this close and tight all the way through. But we've seen it here lately. Kentucky knows how to win close ones now. I'm going to go a and um, I don't know. I just think they match up well. I think this is a decent spot for them. I think if this game was maybe a month or two later, I would probably change that. I think AM needs this one really bad. I think it's going to be a really raucous home environment for AM. I think they're going to play these guards physically. I think that could bother them. And I think they get on the glass. I think that is something they just need to do. And probably Kentucky's best attribute defensively, uh, just looking at the Ken Palm, I mean, they do block a good amount of shots, but they defend the three point line very well. AM doesn't shoot threes for shit. So, like, that doesn't. <laughs> Cancels out. No. And I've just got to bully him inside. And I think they'll find a way to do it. Uh, not a, This is not a confident pick by any means, but I am going to lean AM, but barely. Here, here's the other thing AM can't let Kentucky. And Kentucky, can we agree that they're the best transition team in college basketball? Like the most explosive transition team in college basketball? They got to be, right? They got to be. Right. I mean, just up yeah. and if AM finds themselves down, like let's say the game starts out, Kentucky's up like 22 to six. I don't see AM coming back. Even at home, I don't think they can manufacture points. They can't let Kentucky have like a 50-point first half or no, it's over with. No. That's it, it's over. And we know Kentucky can do it, but 
I'm with you. I, I think there is obviously a great possibility AM wins this game, but I'm riding the Cats. I'm riding the hot team right now. Let's go back to Houston in the Big 12. They're back on the road at TCU. We just talked about TCU. Could have, maybe should have won at Kansas last week. They did knock off the uh, top 10 ranked Oklahoma. They're at, back at home against still the number two ranked Houston team coming off their first loss of the year on the road. I know we talked about it. Trev's still high on Houston. You and I both agreed Houston's still a good team. They're number one rated defense on Ken Palm. You look at their defensive metrics, they're literally number one across the majority of the categories. Block percentage, steal percentage, two-point defending, et cetera, et cetera. I really like TCU. I think TCU at home again is going to cause the same issues that Iowa State did, but maybe not the best defense that I or the better defense Iowa State played but they have better scoring than Iowa State's got. Emmanuel Miller, you talked about him, star. He's an absolute mm -hmm. star. They've got a point guard, Jameer Nelson Jr., that's physical. I don't think Houston's physicality will bother take TCU, especially when they're playing at home. I think TCU gets another upset victory to catapult them into next week's ECB's top 25. Agreed. I got TCU in this spot, too. I don't think you mentioned it. The physicality is not going to bother them. I think Emmanuel Miller is the best player on the floor in this game. I think he's just going to have fits on this Houston defense. I think Houston hasn't matched up with the team before Iowa State that can really match up with them physically. Aside from AM can, but AM was injured in that game. TCU can and then some. This team plays ugly. They play mean. They get out and run. And I think that's something that if you can beat this Houston defense down the floor, I think that can cause yep. some problems. So I'm going to agree. I got TCU in this spot. I. And look at their look at their pace to to add to your point, which about the how fast they can play. They're 38th right now in Ken Palm and tempo, and they're fourth in average possession on offense. They're getting a shot up in 14.5 seconds. Do you know how fast that is? That is lightning quick. And their offense is 37th overall. They can score, and I'm with you. I think that they find ways to beat you know, find Houston scrambling on defense and transition and put a shit ton of pressure on them in game. I think Houston drops two in a row here. I do too. They, they match I, up with them physically. That, that's the thing. If you can match up with Houston physically, I think at this point you can take them and TCU can. I'm 100% agreeing, which probably means uh, TCU, since we both yeah. agree, I think TCU is probably going to get beaten now. <laughs> Sorry. We put the game curse on me. <laughs> uh, let's go. The last one I want to kind of preview and talk about is, San Diego State, they have won seven in a row now since the upset loss mm -hmm. to Grand Canyon. They are on the road in the pit against New Mexico in a big-time Mountain West showdown. Um, your thoughts on this? Because I think this is a true pick em right here on or in the pit on Saturday night. You know how much it sucks that all three of the games we talked about are on at the same time? I know. It's like, all at like 2 o'clock, right? Yeah, two o'clock. Yeah. I'll be getting right back from Butler's Eaton Hall. But well, think uh, about that. This will be because it's in New Mexico. It'll be like a what, a twelve, like a noon tip out there. Mm -hmm. That's kind of an early tip. Oh yeah, and I think if I'm New Mexico, New Mexico needs this game. They haven't beaten anyone that is any good at this point. Their best win is UC Irvine at home or Louisiana Tech at home. They haven't done anything like that, and the way you beat New Mexico. Is they're weak inside. Uh, Nelly Jr. Joseph is probably their shutdown defensive five. And if he is, yikes. Jaden Ledee could have a huge day here. At the same time, I'm not all in on this San Diego State team yet. 
I still think they have some flaws. I think BYU was able to beat them, and Grand Canyon was able to expose them too. They did go at Gonzaga. That is a huge resume win. This is a tournament team. They are much better than they were to start the season. But this is a game where New Mexico's guards will determine it. I think any game New Mexico plays in is, but this one especially. If House, Mashburn, and Dent are going crazy, this is New Mexico all day. Those guys are so hard to stop. At the same time, New Mexico is elite offensively. They can beat anyone on any given day. Defensively, they are dog shit. They don't defend yep. anyone. They are they're basically Miami. Except I yeah, they're basically Miami, honestly. Although they do rank 35th in adjusted defense right now. Mm-hmm. You see, they do, but like that's I think part of that is because of the weak competition they play. Yeah, that's part where metrics lie. That that's where metrics lie. That's why I have such a problem with people who only use metrics and don't actually watch the ball games. You see, when Butler was early season, the way they would defend, and this is just because I watched every single game, they would like make recoveries solely because of athleticism. And like Butler's defense after the first three games, it was like they're allowing like the fewest effective field goal percentage or total field goal percentage or something like that. It's like, well, they'd make these recoveries because they're just more athletic and they were able to bully some of these smaller teams. Once he went against teams their size, it changes everything. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the same with New Mexico in this spot. You can hide a house. You can hide a mash burn if they're in foul trouble. And they're also like just quick. They're really quick. They're able to get those quick steals versus a team like at their level, like Colorado State was. Colorado State got easy buckets every single time down. They shot 58% from the field in that one. And they didn't, they missed a lot of open looks from three, six and 19 from three. Colorado State, oh, 20 and 34 from two, my mistake. They just bullied them inside, and they made it look easy. UNLV did the exact same thing. They made it look really easy there. So I think it's different from that perspective. I don't think they're as bad as Miami is defensively, but their defense is – it's going to really need to show up, and you're going to need big games from Dent, House, and Mashburn. But I think it's more fun if New Mexico wins this game, so I'm going to take them. You want to talk about difference in like tempo and styles. Mm -hmm. Um, San Diego State ranks 221st in adjusted tempo. New Mexico 16. New Mexico wants to play fast. San Diego State kind of wants to grind you out a little bit more. And I love your points about New Mexico with their guard play. If Dent, House, Mashburn are playing at an elite level in this game on Saturday, they win pretty comfortably. I mean, San Diego State's got uh, – I just forgot his name. Uh, Jaden Ladee. Jaden Ladee, thank you. Why can I not think of his name? You just said it. Jaden Ladee, he's going to be a, a great player. He's going to get his, but you can't go against the trio of Dent, House, and Mashburn if they're all playing level or at their best level. And the emergence, I talked about it the, a couple weeks ago when you were on when they lost to Colorado State. JT Toppins continued to mm-hmm. score. He had like 16 in that Colorado State loss. He had 16 in the loss to UNLV. So maybe with him scoring, they lose. Who knows? But you got to feel good in the long term if the freshman is continued to play better like that. 6'9", can really score the basketball. I like New Mexico at home. The pit, I've always said the pit is such a special venue historically. It's one of my bucket list places to go. And when that place is going to be electric on Saturday afternoon out there in New Mexico, I'm going New Mexico up in the tempo getting San Diego State kind of scrambling on their heels a little bit. And I think I don't think all three of the guards play well, but I, if you can get two of the three, if you can get like Mashburn and Dent or Mashburn House or Denton House, two of the three to play well, New Mexico wins. If only one of them play well, San Diego State wins. But I trust that Richard Patino speeds this game up with the press, 
gets out in transition and two, at least two of the three guards we've talked about plays well, throw in a guy like JT Toppin and Nilla Jr. Joseph kind of contribute, even a Jamal Baker, his 30-year-old ass hitting a couple threes. I like New Mexico. I really like this New Mexico Lobos team, and I think they beat San Diego State in a vital Mountain West clash because we've talked about this ad nauseum. That conference is really freaking good this year. Really, like, really fucking good. So I think that's a fun one to keep an eye on. As we kind of round things up, I wanted to talk about a couple things here. One of the things I want to play a little game with you here. Uh, admittedly, I got this game from other places, but I think it's fun to do here. We're going to play. You, you know, mirror the old game, uh, fuck, Mary kill, right? Yeah. Well, we're going to do our version with college basketball teams. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you three teams. You're going to tell me Final Four, Sweet 16, or upset in the first round. You got the premise of the game? Mm-hmm. All right, let's do this. Let's go to the SEC. Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky. Final four, sweet 16, upset first round. Rank them for me. Man, you see, it's really tough because Kentucky is a team that I could see being upset in the first round or making a final four. I can see like all three of them yeah. doing that. Auburn, I'm going to go first with Auburn. I'm going to go with them in the sweet 16. I think they're the most solid of the bunch. I think they like I think if they play like a low seed I think they're just going to overwhelm them they're so athletic so long so physical and Aiden Holloway is really good at point he's really good so I'm gonna go with Auburn sweet 16 shit because then that puts me in a bad spot too (laughs) because I don't want to pick against either of those two teams um so you got Auburn sweet 16 I know you're gonna go because you're gonna go Kentucky final four I'm going to go Tennessee final four just to be a little different. And then talk about the negatives of Kentucky. Well, you will, because you will end up talking about the positives, which to your point, I will agree with you on just about all of them. Uh, But the (laughs) negatives are, let's say you're playing against a team. Like let's say Kentucky gets a two and they're playing against a team like Princeton or a team that runs the Princeton offense. If a team can really find a way to control the pace, those can find a way to beat them in those like ugly situations back door. That's still a very young team and you can beat them on those sort of mistakes. St. Peter's did it last year, uh, two years back. Like you can still beat Kentucky in that sort of way. I think that is always the nightmare for Kentucky versus I think Tennessee just overwhelms their first and second round opponents. So I'm going to go Kentucky in this spot. I will be solely matchup dependent on whether, whether now nah, I'm picking Kentucky in the first round, regardless of just about anyone who they play. But, um, right. I think there is a situation in which, compared to these other teams, if anyone loses in the first round to a team that can really slow the pace down, really hit some jump shots, really stretch them out, make them play five out defensively, I think it's Kentucky. I think they have probably the highest ceiling and the lowest floor. So I will go with Kentucky to get upset, and you'll pick them in the Final Four. <laughs> I mean, I can't fault you for the reasonings at all. I, I, I don't. The only thing I will disagree is the lowest floor. I still think their floor is as high as Tennessee's or Auburn's or a lot of teams, considering what we've seen. Yeah. Like, again, all the factors, I think their floor has significantly been raised over the course of the last month and a half. But as far as me, obviously, Kentucky Final Four. I, I think that when you get NCAA tournament time, guards, especially elite guards, win you tournament games and win you championships. And Kentucky's got four of them. Five, if you count, like I said, Justin Edwards, but four elite guards. They've got the best two bench players anybody in the country has coming off the bench. They can rotate. They can shoot. They play a fun style. 
Kentucky is the Final Four team. Now, the problem with this is coming to the Auburn-Tennessee aspect because mm -hmm. I can make cases for both. One in the Sweet 16, one getting upset in the first round. I'm going to say Tennessee is upset in the first round, Auburn in Sweet 16. I like Auburn's mix of offense, defense. They rank 13th, or sorry, 13th in offense, 5th in defense. They've got big bodies on the inside. They've got star guards on the outside. They can do a little bit of everything. They don't shoot the three particularly well, but it's not completely horrid either at three or 33%. Tennessee's offense scares the living shit out of me. If you take our friend Jonathan Warner over at makingthemadness.com, today's bracketology, he's got Tennessee at three. They would be playing Louisiana Tech. Now, if that was the matchup, Tennessee probably is not getting upset because Louisiana Tech's really struggling. But let's just pretend that they were at three. And one of these teams, like UC Irvine, who ironically, as a 13, would be playing Auburn. If that was Tennessee's opponent, Tennessee could absolutely get knocked off in the first round. The point being, when you get to the tournament, rims are new, rims are tight. So it's it's really hard for a team who already can has moments of struggle in an offense scoring the basketball. Tennessee will play elite defense the rest of the year. That's a given. But damn it, I am worried about them in tournament games where shots aren't falling and they cannot organically manufacture points. They'll have to get the free throw line. They don't necessarily do it the greatest. And if Dalton Connect doesn't have a great game and let's say a first round tournament game, then I worry about them. That's why they would be my first round exit team. Obviously, all three, I think, at their peak could make a final four. But this yeah. is part of the fun of the game. Uh, this is another tough one. I wrote down some good ones here. Two from the ACC, one from the Big Ten, because honestly, nobody else from the Big Ten. I mean, it is what it is. Final Four, Sweet 16, upset first round. Duke, Carolina, Purdue. Purdue, Final Four. Duke, Sweet 16. UNC, upset first round. Oh, um, I like it. I like yeah. it. It's just, again, it's with roster construction. If they find a team UNC – because I feel like UNC is going to be the worst seed of this group. I really like this Duke team that I don't know. I just feel like they can find a team that'll have like big guards that can kind of throw them off. And maybe RJ Davis has a bad game and that can take them out. I, I think all these teams make runs to be clear. I do, like, these are teams I do not want to pick against. Here's why I put them all together. When you yeah. think about it, you're looking to check off all the boxes, come into a tournament, kind of like what I was talking about with Tennessee, right? Can they score the basketball? All three of them could score the basketball. Can they specifically shoot? Yeah, all three have shooters. Can they defend? All three have proven they can defend, right? Can you turn defense into offense? All three has proven that. They all have an elite big man. They all have versatility with guards. That's why this, this trio pairing is so, so hard to decide from. I'm going to say North Carolina, the final four. They Ooh. have shown me so much over the last couple weeks since the Kentucky loss and even in that game. They've got a playmaker and elite guard in R.J. Davis. They can win games defensively in the 60s. They can run and gun with you like they prefer to do at games in the 90s. They put 90-some up on Tennessee. I know it's at home, but they put 90-some up mm -hmm. on Tennessee. Didn't they even crack 100? I forget the final score, but they put a lot of points up on a, the number one defense at the time. So they can win games low scoring. They can win games high scoring. They can play in the full court. They can play in the half court. Tennessee, or sorry, not Tennessee. North Carolina's got everything to win a title. Tennessee, or God, why do I keep saying Tennessee? North Carolina, Final Four. This is where it gets hard. 
Yeah. Because I could see Purdue, if their guards don't play well, another first-round exit. If Duke matches up against somebody who can really spread them out, they could get knocked out in the first round. But like, and to be Purdue fair, so can Carolina. in the first round two years in a row, right? Like, that can't happen, right? That, you wouldn't right? think so, but you like wouldn't think can, so. But like, it can't, you know? You wouldn't think so, but damn it. We just talked about Lipscomb. And by the way, Coach uh, Coach Acuff was just trying to get a hold of me, so I need to reach it back out to him. Um, Lipscomb, Peyton and I seen him. We talked about in episode one six or seventy two. They can shoot, and they've got elite guards. Let's say theoretically that they fell to a sixteen as opposed to fifteen, and Purdue was their one. That is a hard, tricky matchup. Now Purdue should win by a lot, but yeah. Lipscomb can really freaking play on offense. Man, they can really play. I don't want to do it to him again. I'll say Duke loses first round, Purdue Sweet 16. But the wrong matchup and their guards and Smith and Jones and Lawyer does not play well, I hate to do it to him, but it could be another first round exit. I mean, that's a tough matchup. And let's end this thing with another tough one. Kansas, Houston, Arizona, Final Four, Sweet 16, upset first round. Arizona Final Four. I know they lost to Stanford. And I know they looked bad. I still really believe in this team. I think they're really talented. I think they have, they just so cohesive, so well coached. Sweet 16 Houston, just solid, just really solid. And we mentioned it earlier with Kansas. If one of those guys goes down, they're due for an up. They can get upset at any point. One of those guys goes down, they're due for it. Maybe one of those guys has a bad game. You get nothing off the bench. I think there's a recipe for them to be upset now. I don't think Bill Self has lost a game with in tournament game with more than five days prepare to prepare in a while. I'd have to double check that stat to make sure it's true, particularly in the first round. But this group is flaws. I think they have the most flaws of any of these three teams. And where their ceiling is so high, like that starting five is dynamic. Mm-hmm. Off the bench, you're getting almost nothing. And if a Harris or a Dickinson is gone, they're they're a shell of this team. And if they get like a four seed, one of those guys is out versus a 13 that is on fire. That's a spot I could see all day. I'm with you with Arizona. I think of the three, they are the most ready to make a final four push with the interior play. Now their bench isn't that much deeper or better than Kansas. That's the issue. I mean, they don't get a whole lot. They play basically eight guys, but you've got to love their guard play. Caleb Love keeps it under control. He's been phenomenal for him this mm-hmm. year. Polo Larson needs to play well. But you know what I'm saying, Kylan Boswell and all that. Yep. I, I trust Arizona more so. So Arizona, the final four. Kansas come tournament time, despite flaws, finds ways to win at least a mm-hmm. game or two. The majority of the time, right? That's kind of been left behind where they got knocked up by Bucknell and um, Northern Iowa and all that stuff. There, there came a point around 2012 where they're just all they do is make final fours or at least second weekend runs. I trust Kansas despite all that because they do have a potential all American, not potential, an all American in Hunter Dickinson. They've got one of the top three point guards in the country and they've got an elite Swiss Army knife and Kevin McCuller, three headed monster that if they stay healthy, they can win the first two games to make it to Sweet 16. I still worry about Houston. I know we've praised them and said they're one of the best teams in the country. But like Tennessee, their scoring lulls in the NCAA tournament scared the living hell out of me. It scares me. Even with LJ Cryer, if they get matched up, they might, they're going to be a one or two. If they go cold and have a bad shooting night, I know they can rely on that defense. 
I trust Kansas and Arizona a little bit more than I do Houston at the moment because of the offensive issues. Kansas could play really bad and still score 85. Arizona could play really bad and still score 90. Houston plays really bad and scores 53. There, to me, that's a complete difference. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm going Houston. I have that theoretical trio there be the team to have the first round upset. That's such a fun exercise, by the way, because it's so damn hard if you match three equal teams up together. It, that's a fun exercise to do. We'll do that more throughout the rest of the year. But wrapping up here on the Thursday edition of Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 173. Um, anything you want to plug or talk about real quick before we get out of here? Shout out Louisville. I mean, shout them out. Sure. Uh, Louisville, good for you getting a win. You know, I feel yeah. bad for you, you know, but good. But nah, I feel like the people know where to find me. But if you don't, MD the Dream on Twitter. I am the greatest Twitter follow in the world. That is not true. Uh, Road to the Garden pod, Road to the Garden, just writing, getting stuff up there. Follow socials. I got to get going on other socials. I got to, I'll do that at probably very shortly. But uh, you know where to find the stuff. Come on now. And if you're not watching the ECB pod, which I know you are if you get this point, but if you're not like subscribed or liking, give your head a shake. Hit those buttons. We've now. been doing great numbers, by the way. As Hell far yeah. as live viewers going live, been doing great numbers. Can't thank everybody. You guys go follow the man. He is the reigning uh, House Enterprises uh, content creator of the year. He's the man who wears a thousand hats. And he is one of my good friends right now. Uh, I really appreciate Michael. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, there was a lot to talk about. Upset City. There's craziness happened in the last 48 hours of college basketball, and I don't think we're done. I think this weekend's going to get crazy as well. <laughs> who knows what top 25 is going to look like next Monday, and who knows what the hell we're going to have to talk about come Sunday for episode 174. But until Sunday's episode of 174, for Michael, for Trev, who had to run to go cover the Campbell game, Peyton, who wasn't able to make it, Phil, who's off doing side work and enjoying being part of the real world, actually. <laughs> We hope you guys enjoyed this. Leave a follow, share this, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Until Sunday, we hope you guys enjoyed this, and we will catch you down the road.